Here we are in week six of an intense but hopeful journey towards restoration and revival, right? In the face of the brokenness of this world and the wounds that we bear as a result of being on a broken planet, right? Listen, you've been amazing and engaging as you've embraced a different kind of Sunday morning expression, if you will. And uh, you've had so much openness and seeking for wisdom. It's been awesome to be with you. And listen, I haven't said it before now, but I'll say it. I'll say it, which is anytime I get to share, here's what I say, like eat the meat, throw out the bones. What that means is literally, please allow what the Lord has spoken to you to go deep and just let go what doesn't translate or meet you. Sound good? So the first couple weeks were super foundational to any life seeking to live in Christ's powerful peace, joy, and presence, right? The last two weeks have provided important clues as to why that's so difficult to live on a foundation of the truths of God and how we begin to walk free from the fallout of hurt, betrayal, disappointment, abandonment, and any other uh, hellish scheme to incite doubt and disbelief in our foundation of faith. So we end this week by discussing ways to fortify the house we've built over the last few weeks, to live in the hopeful reality of Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul. Are you ready? Yeah, so we're going to start with the prophet Zechariah. He wrote prophetic and powerful words to a group of former captives who had returned to their ancestral home and were facing a work of restoration. He provided encouragement to these struggling Israelites trying to restore their homeland and rebuild their temple. He told them that God himself was coming to inhabit the place in which they were laboring. You see the picture? And the magnitude, though, of their sacred task of putting their lives back together, of putting their homeland back together, it was infused with motivation because Zechariah brimmed with hope over the fact that God would remember his promises to his people even after all the time they spent outside the land. There are so many good things in this book, Zechariah, such as God referring to his people. Do you know it? In, in uh, 2.8, he says, we are the apple of his eye. In Zechariah 3, verse 1, he reminds us that there's an accuser, an accuser who is throwing lies their direction on the regular. He also told them their filthy garments would be removed and comfort would be given. Does this motivator speak to you? Honestly, what's your hope for yourself? Truly, when you think of the ways in which life's been hard, to be the apple of God's eye, to live free from accusation for even a day, to have some filthy garment of untruth, some lie from hell's schemes over you removed, this is yours to have, yours and mine. Do you have a vision for being used by God in a manner that's counter-cultural and yet soul-settling? I pray it. I pray this series has started a fire in you to do the emotional and spiritual work of living from your true soul instead of just going through life's motions. Listen, we've learned from Isaiah that it's possible for beauty to come from ashes, joy from mourning. Jesus taught us and told us that there is life from death. Will you believe in God's great love and care of you so that your previous places of injury actually become areas of greatest strength? That generational strongholds, besetting sins, the grip of addiction, and multiple other schemes of hell against you can be overcome as you walk in the path of soul restoration? I'm serious. What is one area of previous stuckness? That's, 
That's an important word, stuckness, that's right. You are so excited to see impacted by your strong faith and following of Jesus. And it is Zechariah who reminds us, it is ultimately not your work to do, but instead will be accomplished, see it, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Our job is just to participate with God. And my friends, he'll do it. He will do it. Do you realize that? Do you believe that? Do you realize you are more stunning and more effective because of what you've walked, what you've weathered, and certainly what you've withstood? I know in this series there have been painful things brought up that you have felt haven't done anything but mar, weaken, or even fundamentally change you for the worse. But I'm praying you've caught God's turn it around reversal vision, that there is nothing wasted or untouched in the Lord's great restoration story. There's truth to the reality that the more you've been through, the more challenges you have faced, the more valleys you've walked through. Friends, the more you actually have to offer this world. Pamela Reeves said it this way, faith is realizing that I'm useful to God, not in spite of my scars, but because of them. That's my story. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway said it this way, the world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong in the broken places. Have you begun to see through the multiple scriptures we've looked at how your life is meant to be a compelling force of hope to a world grappling for meaning? Your restoration story is actually designed to be a tool for others to grab onto in their search for meaning. Are you in? Where are you at with that? So here's the deal. Some of you know me well enough to know that oftentimes when I have a space where I'm publicly speaking, the Lord will use something in my personal devotional time to underscore a point that he has for us sometimes. And that happened yesterday morning as I was getting ready to put, you know, the final touches on the message. I had my personal quiet time ahead of time. And it happened, and it was like, every time that happens, I'm like, Lord, wow, you want us to get this. So listen, it's so great. Isaiah 49:19. See? Your ruins and devastated places will soon be overcrowded with settlers while your destroyers stay far away. Here are some of the interpretive devotional words for that. Some situations seem irredeemable. It may, be, it may seem hard to believe at the moment, but God is absolutely astounding when it comes to healing hearts and turning tragedy into triumph. These devastated places of pain will become rich soil where tears turn to seeds and become nourishing fruit for others. Isn't that so great? Isn't that awesome of God to hear, to be like, hey, do you hear me on this, people? So I say to you and myself, do we hear him here? So maybe you've caught a grand vision of this, I'm praying. Or perhaps you just have a teeny tiny flame of hope that your wounds won't win over God's immense love and plans for you. But whatever the case, hey, please don't forget this. Saint, hear this. Something is always better than nothing. Maybe this is the first message you've heard in this series. Awesome. Perhaps you cracked over, open your Bible for the first time in a long time this past week, or will. Terrific. Likely you've never spent time before really analyzing why you have certain overreactions to people or why you just can't shake shame. Awesome. Good for you for thinking about it. Maybe you've taken to heart the 3R tool that we said was for every day of our lives. Recognize, reject, replace, right? And you've been trying to recognize lies and doubt that evil is wanting you to believe. Wonderful! Zechariah encouraged the weary Israelites 
trying to rebuild ways in which they had been injured with this same sentiment. He said, look at it, it's so cool. He said, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. <laughs> God sees you, friend, right now, right in this moment, right where you are, and he loves you and is so thrilled for you to be placing your hopes in Jesus. So, back to the core message about how absolutely critical it is to live from the foundation of God's truth. That every other foundation will falter, you know that. At some point, money, success, relationships, achievements, friendships, good habits, clean eating, social media influence, health, every other foundation will falter. And in week two, we went through a list of ways that we can identify when we are looking to one of these other insecure foundations instead of staying in and on God's perspective and character. So let's look at this list again. These indications that we're not living in the truth of God are these kinds of things. Number one, constantly comparing yourself with others. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves with themselves and they compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You hear it, you're stupid. We stupid when we compare, amen? Number two, a way in which we can tell we're not grounded and living from the truths of God is when we are looking to others for approval. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of man or of God? If I, were, if I were trying to win the approval of man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Number three, when we're not staying on the truths of God, we will often instead base our faith on our feelings. John 8.32 says what? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Not you shall feel the truth and the truth will set you free. A fourth way that we can know that we're out of the, the secure foundation we have in the Lord is when we're struggling with discontentment and doubt. Isaiah 30, 15 says it compellingly, the prophet did. He said, in repentance and rest is your salvation, but you would have none of it. Number five way that we can tell that we're not on God's truth is by giving way to worry, giving over to it. Oh, this is the very first scripture that I ever memorized. Matthew 6, 34, it says, you know, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, right? So good. I like the Corey Ten Boom quote. Have you heard it? She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Amen? Number six way is by being self-focused and self-indulgent, giving into temptation, having little self-restraint. That's an indication we're not living in the sacrificial flow of God. And number seven was this, being crippled underneath the weight of shame, where it's just suffocating every aspect of your life. And we did a show of hands to see which one you most struggle with. Let's just do that real quick again. Why don't you just think about for a second, this is your number one indication when you know I'm not living in the truth of God, one of these seven. So who is it uh, constantly comparing yourself with others? How about number two? Uh, when you know you're looking to others for approval too much, whose is that? Awesome. Number three, basing your faith on your feelings. Who knows, like, that's an indication of, yeah, thank you. Number four, struggling with discontentment and doubt. Who knows, like, that tells me when I'm off the, yeah, that's awesome. Number five, giving way to worry. It's a common one, yeah. Number six, being self-focused and self-indulgent when we're just like, yeah, that's so good. Number seven, when we're being crippled under the weight of shame. Yeah, 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 it's huge, it's crippling. Mm -hmm. So now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of turn to the how-tos for remaining in the truths of God, not living from our wounds or from hell's lies and schemes. Are you ready? So turning these around, 
When we are living secure in the truths of God about ourselves and our lives, instead of comparison, we're going to possess what I call a keys perspective. Um, can I have those keys right there? These are, this is, a, just toss them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at these keys. <laughs> I was going to ask for one from the congregation, but I don't think anybody could outdo this one. I, I just wonder what this life is about. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm like, whoa. Okay, so let's quickly, like, what? This key right here, do you think this one opens the house? No, it probably doesn't. And this little one here, do you think this one starts the car? No, I don't think that starts the car. I don't know what that's for. Is that like a, is that like a sa safety deposit box? I don't know. <laughs> I want to find out. And then we've got the blue key. What's the blue key for, you think? Is this one going to start the car? No, that's going to open the back door probably. Right? Right? So you see all these keys. Wow, what is this life? I want to know. Yeah, this is a key fob. This is like some secret place. Okay. He doesn't have the key to savings on here. Okay, so anyhow, when you look at these keys, do you know this is what you and I are like? God has given you the keys that you have on your keychain, the gifts that you have, the way he's made you to think, the way he's made you to process and approach life, even the way that you are physically, the things you can do and the things you can't do. They're all keys on a keychain made to open certain doors, and that is your purpose. And Ephesians 2 says, and 2.10 says, basically, and when we're done with that purpose, we'll be with him. So do you know that that's what it is? So when you see the key of attractiveness according to what is attractive in America in the 21st century, whoop-de-doo, it's just one key. Instead of so much as like, oh, if you don't have that key, then you disparage all your other keys. What are we doing? What are we doing? Right? We're falling, we're falling prey to cultural comparisons. So I want you to think about what your keys are and live that way. Instead of comparing yourself one to another and going, I wish I had their keychain. No, just get back to the business of what keys are on your keychain. Amen? Can you catch this, Dave, without hurting anybody? Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Secondly, instead of looking, so this is the other temptation, to, to, to others to get love, security, and approval, we're going to look to give to them. Understanding the reason we're blessed, my friends, is to be a blessing. So listen, because of where we are as a church, looking at how much we've really talked about the power, uh, power of generosity, I have to tell you that Mike and I have personal experience of knowing that you cannot outgive God. Money, time, effort, you cannot outgive God. Honestly, if you've never lived it, try it. So many benefits and intangibles from generosity, from physical health, no joke, do, look at the research, to less anxiety. When you're generous, you have less anxiety. <laughs> Can you put together why that would be? And deeper peace. So instead of trying to get approval and validation and security from others, we do what 1 John says. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So in releasing others from having to give to us and instead choosing to give to them, we stop asking our questions of value and identity to others. And we stop reaching to others for things like love and affirmation and meaning and value. And instead we live this direction. You fill me up, God, and I'll pour it out. Yeah? So number three, instead of basing your faith on our feelings, you know what we do instead of that? We choose to command our souls to choose the truth. We command our souls to choose the truth. 
So what is this idea? What am I saying? Command your soul. What is that? Well, can you listen to Psalm 43, 5 with me? It says this, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, what's going on here? Is that like a schizophrenic psalmist? Like, what's up? Those of you that are grammar people are like twitching. Because the voice changed three times in that one verse. Who's talking to who in that verse? Why so, look, here's I think what's going on. Hey, Tim, why are you so downcast? What are you doing, soul? Why are you so upset and disturbed and what's up? Oh, you're putting your hope in Mike. Are you putting your hope in this circumstance? Are you putting your hope in this outcome? Oh, hey, girl, you put your hope in God. That's right. I praise him and I hope in him, my Savior and my God. You see it? You can hear it in other things. We just sang it. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Dude, I don't care what you feel like today. You bless the Lord. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, find rest, oh, my soul, in God alone. You hear the command? My hope comes from him. You hear Psalm 103, verse 2, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. I have found this is a dividing line, I'm going to say, between maturity and immaturity in the Christian life. The capacity and willingness to command your soul to bless the Lord, to trust in God. Number four, instead of struggling with discontentment and doubt, become a person of gratitude and praise, developing a discipline of thankfulness very much aware of the power of our speech. Leave that up there for a second. I want to see what sort of sticks out to you about that. Which part sticks out to you? I'm wondering if the idea of a discipline of thankfulness sticks out to anybody. Yeah. Thankfulness is a discipline. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. If you've ever wondered what God's will for your life, it's to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, be, let's be clear. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. I got some ones in my life right now I am not thankful for. He says to give thanks in all circumstances for his provision and his peace and his help and the next breath and the next step. This is God's will for us. So it's not for, but in. And one of the ways that God helps me to do this is by this little phrase, choosing to focus on what is, not what is not. <laughs> That's a little weird. How's it striking you? Focus on what is, not what is not. So are you so grateful for the place that you have to lay your head at night? Are you like, why can't I have a house like theirs? Even the people sitting beside you, why can't I have a house like theirs? Are you so thankful for the fact that we have a beautiful church community and we just lean into loving one another so hard and so good? Are you like pretty frustrated and you're about ready to leave because there's four or five things that you're pretty frustrated about? Listen, Mike is an amazing spouse. On a scale of one to 10, for all the things that spouses should be and do, he is an eight and a half or a nine. It's awesome. And yet there are plenty of days that Mike just doesn't do it for me. I'm serious. What do you think I'm focusing on in those days? The one or the one and a half that he is not, instead of the eight and a half or nine that he is. Listen, <laughs> is that man the most loyal, faithful, kind, sincere-hearted, genuine, forgiving to a fault, if that's even possible, person? He's, he's so loyal. He would die for me. I know he would. I know he would. And yet, <laughs> is he ever going to be like, so sit down? And tell me all the things that God's doing in your soul, especially how, especially how your emotional person's doing. Let's spend two hours on that, and then we'll worry about everything else later. 
<laughs> no. Right? Are you focusing on what is or what is not? And the especially important place to do this, my friends, is our speech. What comes out of our mouths. Why? Because the more you speak, do you get this? The more real it becomes. Not because this is manifesting or any sort of pop psychology. It's because we're made in the image of God. Who, how did he, how did he bring everything that is into existence? He, he spoke it into existence. So this is a grid that I've come to have be like a filter for my life. Pro- Proverbs 18, 21. Look at it. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Can you, from this day forward, think everything I speak is either bringing life or it's bringing death? Isn't that good? So number five, instead of anxiety, we will trust God and accept struggles and difficulties with eyes of faith. Do you know what the most often repeated sort of command in the Bible is? Do not fear, fear not, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. There are so many scriptures about not worrying. Why? Because the Lord knew it would be a primary bait of hell. Friends, what if are two of the most dangerous words in the English language? Isaiah 41, he says, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. So what we need to do instead of worrying and taking the bait of fear, which is an everyday bait, we're going to take God's promises and faithfulness and smash it right up in the face of that anxious bait. Amen? When we do that, when we really understand you're important to God's kingdom and we are secure now and forever, Only then can we see nearly every situation as an occasion in which to be Jesus to the world. Every problem can then become an opportunity. Only when we know we're secure forever and we're important to God's kingdom. God's heart for us is to live with a broader perspective than just the worries and upsets of life. Instead, let others see eternity in your perspective of events. Let them see confidence in the middle of your trials. Right? I think problems become a megaphone when other people know we're in the middle of them. Number six, instead of living self-concerned, make mature, sacrificial, Christ-like choices in our lives and our relationships. Oh, Philippians 2 about how Jesus lived this way is unbelievable. Philippians 2, 1 through 12. And in verses 3 and 4 of that Philippians 2 chapter, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but more importantly, to the interests of others. (laughs) Okay, a little conviction, whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you hear it? Look to others' interests over your own. Do you know every day we have these choices? Look at them with me if you don't mind. To give grace or hold grudges. To isolate or be in community. To be insecure or secure. To judge or to release to God. To be distant or courageously reach out. To forgive or become embittered. To have faith or have fear. To reach out first or wait for others. To personalize or to pray. To be anxious or trust, to run to friends or run to Jesus, to join in gossip or redirect, to complain or be thankful, to hold anger or show mercy. Every day we have those choices. Ah, they're life-giving choices, friends. So you do know the very best thing you can do for yourself is to seek to grasp the depth of God's love for you. 
when you're secure in it, then you're free enough to love others without depending upon them to meet your need for love. When God's love for you is enough, you'll find it much easier to take pride, excuse me, to take pride, to take risks, to not be prideful, to say, I'm sorry, to be responsible and take ownership, to be others focused, to express kindness and love passionately when you're secure in God's love for you. Jesus told us this formulation was real. He said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life on account of me will find it. If you let go of all the ways in which you're trying to get life and simply just choose to give yourself away, you'll find the very things that you are clawing and grasping for either don't matter anymore or come to you better after you've stopped grabbing for it. So the important working out of soul healing restoration for us is to continue to put to death self as the center of all things. And instead, have you heard this quote? Be kind to all, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Isn't that true? Number seven, instead of giving in to the crippling bait and weight of shame, live by and in, by faith in the work and promises of Christ, trusting Jesus as our righteousness and provider of everything we need. Listen, the key to breaking the power of shame is faith in the work of Christ and the promises of Christ. Shame pr pr pronounces us guilty and deficient. Jesus pronounces us guiltless and promises that his grace will be sufficient for us in our weakness. When we trust Jesus as our righteousness and our provider of everything we need, Shame will lose its power over us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is incredible. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You're righteous because of Jesus. Take that and shove it into the face of shame. And Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Listen to Psalm 34, 4 and 5 about how trusting the promises of God delivers us from shame. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be covered with shame. These practices, all the ones we just mentioned, practicing a key's perspective, corralling our speech, seeking to bless and sacrificially love others, choosing gratitude, not letting our, control, our feelings control us, fighting anxiety with trust, and shoving off shame are all strengthened and possible when we have certain disciplines in our lives, okay? So all these things we just looked at are possibilities for you and I to stay in on top of certain disciplines in our lives. God actually gives us disciplines to build a channel for joy and peace to come into our souls. So remember, we started the series by saying we have to submit to God's view of things, not our own or others, and to surrender to God's ways, not our own or the world's. That's what disciplines do. Disciplines will help us actually live surrendered to God, right? So here we go. There's a couple of them. Walking in soul healing, enjoying a, and maintaining a life of peace, joy, purpose, contentment, and victory is made possible by, number one, being serious about the Bible. If you want to be serious about seeing Christ's life and victory manifested in yours, you have to be serious about the Bible. Ah, I could go off. We may need to shut the doors and be here for a couple hours because honestly, being a person of the word has completely changed me. Completely changed me. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. That it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the mind. It's living and active. And Isaiah 55.11 says the word of God will not return void. 
Do you know what that means? It just reminds me of it being like yeast. Like you get a little bit of yeast in like this thing and it makes the dough go. Bleh. The word of God's living and active. It's like if it gets inside us, it won't return void. If it gets inside us and you keep being around the word of God, it's going to do stuff in you. Do you know that? It's not just like anything else you read or take in. It's not. It promises to have a different power because you're a soul. And it is of the soul. So nothing's going to change you more than ongoing and regular interaction with God's word. And if you ever want to hear my story about how God's word has changed my life, just ask me. I'll be excited to let you know. But I'm telling you, just very quickly, I heard memorizing the word of God was a great idea. When I was young in my faith, I'd never grew up with a Bible. So I thought that was really cool. So I tried to remember and memorize the Word of God. What do you think happened? Well, every time we move towards the Word of God, it's going to be opposed. We learned that in week whatever, three. Right? It's going to be opposed. So I had great difficulty memorizing the Word of God. But I think we've been together long enough for the last six weeks for some of you to notice something, right? I know some of God's Word, chapter and verse. How did that happen? I'm not joking. How did that happen? He says, his word will not return void. It's living and active. Just get around it and keep getting around it. And it's going to get in you. And there are times when I'm even talking today, just even in a conversation, or even on my own, I'm thinking, and all of a sudden, there'll be a scripture that just comes to mind, and I'm like, I'm still like, shut up. That is unreal <laughs> when that happens. So I dare you to take that on. Just keep getting around the word of God and watch how it strengthens you in places you didn't even know needed strengthened. Number two, be committed to prayer. First Thessalonians says pray continually. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Yes, prayer is like this. I mean, God, I really need a parking space right now. Sure, fine. Prayer is also on your face, absolutely confessing you have nothing. You have no breath. You have no thoughts. You have nothing without him. And it's raising your hands in worship. And it's like, dear God, it's petitioning for somebody's health situation. It's all of the things. Pray, anything, anything. And you realize, you remember weeks one and two that anytime you turn your face towards God, he's like, yes, that's awesome. Number three, I don't know if you've heard this, but obedience is awesome. Obedience is awesome. The guidelines in the Bible are not simply a bunch of do's and don'ts. They are road signs leading to true life. This is yours and my best life manual. God is not a buzzkill. What is best for his kingdom is best for us. There's no conflict. Obedience keeps us protected, purposeful, peaceful. And listen, God is not a gumball machine, Santa Claus, or a Starbucks barista. He's not. But he does say, there's some mystery too. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Psalm 62 says, you'll reward everyone according to what he's done. Ephesians 6 says the same thing. And by the way, your behavior is your final word on what you really believe. No matter how strongly you feel a love for God, no matter how deeply held you think your faith is, if it doesn't result in a heart for obedience, it's probably not real. Number four, offer forgiveness regularly. This is a critical life discipline. I'm actually going to say daily. Cross it out if you're taking notes and put the word daily. Who'd you need to forgive today? I know who I need to forgive yesterday. I know it this morning as well. Do you? Can't say enough about forgiveness. Jesus, <laughs> his whole life was about forgiveness. And it's critical, absolutely cru crucial to any believer's life if you want to live full and free in Jesus, especially if you want the restoration of soul healing. 
Listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you. If we don't forgive, bitterness grows. And as a practitioner, 30 years, I, I'll be honest. Bitterness is the only emotional state other than organic depression that I've seen take people's lives. It's serious. Unforgiveness is a showstopper to many things, including relationships. So how? How do we do this? Colossians 3.13 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. First of all, it's a decision. He didn't feel like going to the cross, I'm certain. It's a decision. If you're waiting till you want to, I want to feel like I want, no. It's a decision. It's an ongoing event between you and God. This is also how the Lord forgave. It's not the same as forgetting or justifying an action. You're not condoning what happened when you choose to forgive. It's without limits. And my friends, forgiveness is most likely going to be painful. It killed Jesus. I'm not joking. So if somebody has told you it's easy, it's not easy. But it is your God going, I, it's so bad for you to walk around with unforgiveness. Do you trust me? Hand it to me. Do you trust me? Hand it to me. I got it. I'm big enough. Right? I know that that's not good for you. And I see, I see all that's cost you. I see all that has resulted in your life as a result of it. Don't ever forget as you're looking to forgive that hurt people. Hurt people. That may help you. Number five. Oh, I want to say this. This is our transition to number five. Jesus demonstrated that no wound is ever so deep that we are justified not to love and give again. Amen? Number five. Discipline. Commit to being in community. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. We think we're healed with people. We got to go over here and heal by ourselves, and then we'll go back to people. We are hurt in community. We are wounded in community. We will be healed in community. Hebrews 10 says, don't stop getting together. And I just want to say that one of the best ways you can be in community around here is this mysterious thing called the Christmas program. <laughs> just FYI. Hey, listen. Yes, I know. I'm telling you, it's so much more than just about what happens in December or singing or playing. There is so much good community that happens in that space. I know people that are lifetime friends because of it. Yes? Hey, I want to welcome up to the stage my friend, Doug DeRoy. Sorry, everybody say hey to Doug. He is an awesome greeter here at Vista. He's also the best tennis pro in all of Columbus, tennis teaching pro in all of Columbus. And the last point about these disciplines is that the work works. The work works. And so that's why I've asked my friend, my friend, Doug, to be up here. And I'm, would I'm you... used to like a tennis court size. This I know, is a lot I know. smaller, We're... so a little yeah, tight up yeah. here. So <laughs> this awesome. is good. Uh, would you talk about the different ways you've gone through soul healing type stuff in yeah. all the different ways? And yeah. We'd love to. So I think it's been about 20 years now that we've been together, doubles partners, going Woo! through life, um, soul healing. Um, so it just started with myself um, and just doing that life together. And then after that, about 10 years ago, it expanded to my wife when I got married. So like the spider web was kind of growing, which was amazing. Um, and now trying to incorporate that with our kids as well. Um, and then when we did small groups about five to six years ago, um, we did soul healing mm -hmm. as a group. And mm -hmm. that was amazing to see young couples um, married and how we incorporated that. Um, and then most recently, in the last two years, um, it was my family, extended family, um, to where we went through soul healing um, as wow. new married couple. So it's just from 20 years on down, it just keeps getting better and bigger. Wow. So. You, you pro I think you should have done the series actually. Uh, uh, next year. <laughs> so how are you personally different from having done this kind of work all these years? Um, 
toolbox is kind of what I say. Um, I felt like I was empty-handed uh, going through life, um, trying to figure things out on my own. Mm. Um, and with this, it's just like I can go into life, into my wounds, into my past, into my present and future with tools that I know how to do this and can do this. So it's really helped me out, just feel equipped yeah. for my journey. Uh, that's awesome. And so what is one of the main disciplines that you practice, like we just talked about, to walk in this peace and encouragement of God's truth? Um, so being a tennis instructor, um, it's just like we, like I teach you, it's like every stroke, we're going to cover that. We're going to fill the buckets every week. Um, it's just the fundamentals. Um, it's not hard. Uh, it's not, it's simple, um, but it's hard. Mm. Um, and so it's just like prayer, um, just going to Alum Creek. And that's my spot where I get away to, to cry, to talk to God on my knees, walking, whatever it may be. Um, I don't like this, but you keep recommending me doing it, journaling. Um, and so um, doing that constantly, mm -hmm. just talking with God, um, getting to know him more mm -hmm. has been great. And then um, we have a family saying, um, learn from people that know more than us and just continue to do that. That humbles us, matures us. And so just seeking counsel, um, we continue to try to do that. So those three things I would say are the main three. So awesome. And so as you look around at these people, what is one specific word of encouragement you want to give them about this journey and their work? Yeah, I would say um, do the work. Uh, it's worth it. Um, just uh, like what is your goal and working backwards from there. Um, I try to say continually um, be the best I can be and do what God's given me to do. Um, and that's just the everyday grind of trying to get to know him more um, and working on my soul. So it's been great. Come on, give it up for Doug. Thank Love you so much. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so where we are, that's awesome. Where we are at the end of this journey, I, I just want to share with you God's encouragement. In Galatians 6, 6 through 9, he says, do not be deceived. Sorry, it's 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The first part of that passage, verse 7. Did you hear it? Don't be deceived, friends. God can't be mocked. What does that mean? The original language has a really serious sort of intentional kind of warning behind it. Hey, do not mess with this. Do not, do not mess with this principle. Come on. If you plant a pumpkin seed, you're not going to get tomatoes. Don't mock God. You see? It's like, do not doubt the intractable nature of the sowing and reaping principle. Friends, don't mock God. Just trust at the proper time. If you just keep sowing and keep sowing and keep sowing to righteousness and keep sowing to things of faith and keep sowing to things of faith, at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. So keep sowing the things we talked about, this whole series, trust in God, living in Him from the foundation of faith. And at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. The work works. So I think we just wanna take literally one minute and have you just, just right here where we're sitting, just turn to your neighbor, people around you, a couple of people around you, and just share, because we don't wanna just take in knowledge. We want our lives to be changed. 
What is one takeaway from even the practices and even the disciplines we talked about today? Why don't you turn and just share with your neighbor right now what is one of those that you want to take away?